0: I've been sick of the sound of my own voice since uh, since I was young. That Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode number one of Increments with Ben and Vaden. Um,
1: that was sensual. That sounded very sensual.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the uh, intro voice um but yeah so today's episode is about epistemic modesty and uh in what you're about to listen to we start with epistemic modesty quickly get sidetracked and start arguing about consequentialism for like an hour and a half um and it's not until the second episode that we bring it back to the subject of epistemic modesty so uh if listeners are wondering what the fuck's going on it's <laughs> so are we <laughs> basically <laughs> Um, but, uh, but we eventually do bring it back, uh, but you'll have to wait to the next episode to, uh, to get that. Cool. Um, see you on the other side. So the subject uh, today is epistemic modesty, which, um, I guess is, is slightly a term of art in the rationalist community. There's a few blog posts written about it. One from, uh, Eliezer Yukowsky, uh, in defense of, um, a non-modest epistemology, so having strong opinions and uh, holding to them. Uh, and then there's another uh, blog post written in defense of epist- epistemic uh, modesty, saying basically we should uh, be careful to hold too strongly to our own opinions and uh, and defer to experts um, a bit more often than we're perhaps used to. And so both Ben and I are um, kind of known for, for having uh, strong political and strong Opinions both in the political and the moral sphere, but it's, but it's interesting to, to kind of uh, investigate like, um, how we first form these opinions and when we should change them and just, um, how do we negotiate in a world where, uh, we think we're right, but there's also uh, a lot of people who we respect who also think they're right. And so. That's kind of the space of what we're going to be discussing um, today. And so I guess the first place that may um, be interesting to start is just, Ben, what do you think are, like, what are some of the opinions you hold pretty strongly now and what um, would make you change change them? Or or if you don't think you change them, uh, why? Like, how do you justify the strong opinions that you hold?
1: Yeah, so we're we talking political opinions specifically at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it might be slightly this might be slightly unhelpful now actually. I think because I've come across um notions like epistemic modesty, I'm incredibly confused at the moment about a lot of political opinions and uh it in parallel to this actually because I'm being exposed right now more to the world of like uh, economics and how research is actually done, um, I'm beginning to come across a lot of like the sources of our quote-unquote knowledge about a lot of political topics, right? Like um, whether we're talking about uh, does taxation work, does uh, raising the minimum wage work, um, do does allowing people, like do open carry laws um, uh, reduce crime rates, th- these kind of things. And I'm kind of seeing how all this research is actually carried out. Um, Interesting. And yeah, a lot of it... Uh, is, it's, is is that not making as you start to doubt yourself? Yeah, it's, a little, it's not as robust as, as you'd like it to be probably as someone yeah. um as someone like yeah from, from the outside. So uh all this right now is causing me to hold my political opinions I think a little less strongly, but hmm. uh yeah, to answer your question, I guess a little more honestly. Like I definitely have liberal leanings, right? So hmm. I definitely think um I definitely think uh like, vast inequality is a problem. I think vast, especially, like, inequality of opportunity is a huge problem, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think, you know, we've talked about, um, like, free will to some extent, and I just think, like, people are born into the circumstances that they are with, um, uh, you know, certain, a, a certain IQ um, parents that have the ability to, like, encourage them only... It, so far as they can Mm -hmm. to like pursue education and things like this. And just the Mm -hmm. way opportunities distributed is just not, uh, not equal. Right. And so this Mm -hmm. definitely informs Mm -hmm. my political opinions and definitely pushes me Mm -hmm. more towards the left and more towards, um, yeah, sort of redistributive policies.
0: So I want to dive into the, um, the question of taxation. So that's, that's an interesting one for me personally, because um, both of us, I think uh, grew up in, in, let's say, left-of-center households. Um, Both of us, I think, have done uh, a lot of work trying to understand positions on the other side, so on the other side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. um, Taxation is one that I've always been stuck on, uh, and taxation and minimum wage uh, questions, because upon reading both sides, I I find that I'm kind of in a a deadlock. Both sides seem to be making... Uh, reasonable arguments um say one side saying we need to increase taxes in order to um put more money into public services and then kind of redistribute wealth and the other side says that well you can't um increase taxes too much because then that will hurt the free market and by hurting the free market you're you're hurting one of the main generators of of wealth and so i guess um i'm really curious to know uh, what uh your position is on that question, being kind of on the other side of the of the curtain, so to speak. If if um, if there is a consensus uh, in in the economics uh, department to which you find yourself, or if it's as messy uh, on the other side of the curtain as as it is on this side of it.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. So I think. Yeah, I mean, just to also put my cards on the table, like I'm, I'm not actually an economist. I'm more sort of like a data scientist at the law school. And so my background's on not in economics or math and computer science, but I'm definitely more exposed to real economists in this position than I've ever been before and definitely have a peek behind the curtain as to how this research is, is often carried out. Um, yeah, but to answer your question, I think in general, I'm pretty sympathetic actually to raising... Uh, taxes and raising the minimum wage, mostly because I think the empirical evidence basically points to the fact that uh, raising the minimum wage um, does not um, re- reduce employment. So um, maybe just give a bit of background. Like one of the arguments against uh, raising the minimum wage is that it will actually cause employers to cut down on employment, and this is actually going to be hurting the poor. Right, this is going to be hurting the very people you hope to you hope to help. Right. So yes, yeah, no. those. Uh, people who will be employed will be getting paid more, and that's great. But this will actually force employers to just cut many more jobs l- mm. like this. And so you'll actually have many more unemployed people. So that's kind of like the, the classic. This is the
0: argument against raising the minimum wage. Yeah, precisely. Uh, and, in, yeah.
1: Um, and this, uh, to my eyes, just basically an empirical claim, right? This is like an empirical claim mm. about people's psychology, how they, how they act under increased taxation, and just mm-hmm. how complex economic networks actually func- mm-hmm. function in practice. And Based on my understanding of the literature at the moment, there's just not strong evidence to suggest that um, modest increases in the minimum wage actually hurt. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, actually, actually hurt job uh, job retention among lower income people. Uh, so yeah, so that would be my that'd be my take on the minimum wage at the moment. And also, what, what yeah, the yeah sorry.
0: No, no. Okay.
1: Okay. I was just gonna say yeah. So the and then the take on taxation is sort of similar. I think again, this is kind of an empirical question and. My current understanding of the literature is that increased taxation doesn't uh, reduce people's incentives. It doesn't, like, lower productivity among among the wealthy. Mm-hmm. So, again, to, like, just give the background of the argument, um, mm-hmm. the, the argument against taxation is that um, if you tax people too heavily, you're going to reduce their incentive to work and be productive, right? And then this is actually going to um, – this is going to hurt the, the very system of, like, wealth accumulation, and then everyone's going to be poorer off, right? Because mm-hmm, now we, mm-hmm. we don't have people, like, producing the goods and services that we actually rely on. And mm-hmm. from – yeah, it seems like at the moment that's just kind of false, right? And I yeah. think this is actually pretty intuitive if you, like, think about the psychology. I think what drives people um, insofar as status is concerned is the status – With respect to uh, like their peers and neighbors and it's a sort of it's a relative status as opposed to an absolute status. So if you know if that if the absolute cap on income in in some world is like two million dollars, you just want to be at that cap and you want your neighbor to be making a million dollars less than you. Um, (laughs) And so you you actually care about the relative difference between you exactly. and you and your neighbors yeah. as opposed to like the the absolute amount of money you're making um yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of my take right now just based on how i interpret the the literature that's,
0: that's excellent. so okay so let's let's uh kind of think a bit about how you um uh arrived at that position which is i think similar to the way that i thought through it as well which is um okay uh people on the left say one thing uh, people on the right say another thing uh it both arguments seem relatively persuasive uh and at this particular question we need to turn to the data uh it's an empirical question and we need to say that uh there is no way to um say kind of a priori who's correct so we need to just investigate um i've heard something similar when it comes to the uh the kind of icky concept of um actually let me Change the metaphor because we need not go there. Um, we could use the the idea of: um, Do video games cause uh, an increase in violence? Um, where some people say the violent video games will create uh, an incentive for people to go out and uh, actually do violence in person, and other people say, well, violent video games are just going to keep all the violent people at home playing video games and that will reduce actually people going out outside. Uh, And so it's an empirical question. Um, But so, okay. So we agree that um, one should be kind of epistemically modest when there's strong arguments on both sides and there's the ability to get uh, data. But if we move the question to say the more moral sphere, where it's really difficult to to, uh, get empirical data, um, then what do we do? So for example, Uh, let's choose um, uh, consequentialism versus uh, deontology versus uh, virtue ethics. Sure. Um, How do we start to justify and think through these kinds of, of of moral frameworks when there's uh, it's, it's hard to just turn to the data, I guess this might, it's, maybe not a question directly to you but i could pose it as a question to you but it's it's something that maybe we could explore together because it's it's not an easy question to uh to to resolve yeah so um, so what are your thoughts
1: yeah it's it's uh, it's not an easy question to resolve and i think it's sort of bizarre actually that people don't give this more thought um so will mccaskill who uh is a philosopher at oxford has has this great line where he says um you know basically people are pretty good typically about making decisions under uncertainty, right? So if you're, like, waking up and trying to go about your day, um, there's, like, all sorts of uncertainty associated with it, right? Like, if you go to school, you might get hit by a car. Um, and and we're able to sort of rationally weigh the pros and cons of different decisions. And um, most of the time, if the decision is actually, like, important to us, we kind of do this um, as, like, an expected value calculation, right? And we just kind of mm-hmm. go, like, yeah, this, this action might have a really bad effect, but the probability is sufficiently low. I'm not really going to pay attention to it, yada, yada, yada. But the point is that we take into account lots of possible options of what could be happening, right? Like, lots of possible truths. Whereas in uh, in the moral sphere, uh, sort of, yeah, Will says that we sort of adopt, like, a football fan um, ideology here, whereas, like, we pick a certain moral team and then we just stick with it no matter what, right? So we, like, Hmm. we pick consequentialism, for example, just because we find Hmm. the reasoning as compelling... uh, as, or more compelling, rather than than any of the other um, sort of moral frameworks out there, and then we just say, "That's it. I'm a consequentialist. I'm going to analyze everything via this lens, and and I'm not going to pay attention to any sort of um, virtue ethics considerations or Kantian considerations, any, any of hmm. you know, from any other uh, moral viewpoint." And this is like pretty pretty bizarre, right? There's no reason that this should be the case. Um, hmm. And anyway, this actually spun off like a sort of this. Uh, this field um, uh, of research kind of uh, termed like, I guess, moral uncertainty, like making decisions under mm. moral uncertainty. And I think my current thoughts are that we should actually be much more modest in our moral judgments than typically mm. we are. So if you you have like your credence say is like 50% in consequentialism um, or even like 80%, I still think you should be taking into account uh, what what would be the, sort of the effects of your actions, or rather, like how would your action look under different moral viewpoints? And I think that actually should inform our actions more more than it does currently.
0: Ooh, fascinating. Okay, so yeah. I uh I think that McCaskill um I, I obviously respect him as the person who started the effective altruism movement, and and uh, he's a great great philosopher and thinker. But I I, I don't necessarily agree that consequentialism is um the same as the other two moral systems i know that this is classically how it's taught but so i'm very much a consequentialist um in the sense of uh, i think that to um, come to some sort of moral understanding we need to to argue and reason and discuss uh, the consequences but this is what we do in every area of life in science and in um relationships. And this is just how we arrive at any kind of understanding. Um, What we do is we argue and debate and discuss the various possibilities and alternatives. And um, it's only through this process of uh, debate and and finding uh, flaws in the other person's uh, reasoning, do we start to make uh, progress. And so I say I'm a consequentialist, because it is the quickest way for me to communicate to other people. Kind of how I reason through, but I don't think there's anything necessarily tribal about it. Um, it's not that I, uh, or conse- it's it's not that I uh, have found my team and I'm just going to argue consequentially uh, against uh, all the other uh, uh, teams. Just come hell or high water. It's it's more that <laughs> I think that the only way that we can make any progress in any domain at all is through the mechanism of discussion and debate. Um, and in that sense. Uh, All there is to discuss Are consequences Um,
1: Oh, interesting
0: And and so it's To be a consequentialist Is, at least in my mind That's really just to say That I'm applying the same uh, Principles of discussion and debate To the moral sphere as I do To every other sphere Uh, If you compare it to, say uh, Virtue ethicists Who say that Here's a set of virtues um, And uh, What's right is say to be noble or to be brave or to be whatever, um, then that is a, a way to end discussion <laughs> or they say, well, no, you can argue and you can discuss about the, uh, which virtues are better than which other virtues. Yeah. And then I say, okay, great. If you're going to do that, how are you going to actually argue and discuss it? Well, you are going to talk about the consequences of these, these virtues. And so at the end, it always comes back to, um, argument, uh, and critical discussion as being the, the driving mechanism. Um, so I don't know yeah. what do you have to I, say? Know, I, think, I think you're yeah.
1: imposing your uh, sort of lack of respect of other philosophical moral traditions into mm. this discussion right so I think I think mm, it's not mm, mm, it's mm. not fair to say that the deontologist or the virtuous ethicist in this case would say um, I believe uh, in these five virtues and that's it that's the end of the story you should be acting this way no matter of the consequences. There's still yeah. lots of discussion to be had there, right? You can still sit yeah. down with a virtue ethicist and debate the pros and cons, how you weigh up different virtues, why they believe um, in virtue so, ethics and, as opposed to other things, right? And that's precisely the. I, I, you don't want to close off that debate. That's precisely yeah. um, the sort of the force driving moral yeah. uncertainty is that you want to keep options open as opposed to just closing the door to other uh, moral frameworks.
0: Yeah, and, I, but, I guess it's less that I um, am. Uh, disregarding the other frameworks it's more of them saying that they are all doing the same deeper thing um and the same thing that they're all doing is uh, arguing and debating and discussing uh with reference to consequences again. <laughs> and so it, it, it's not necessarily that i'm saying that uh the virtue ethicists and the deontologists like to be a deontologist if you're going to argue for a rule based framework you are of course arguing that the rules are going to lead to better consequences um but it's not the other way around it's um, the consequentialist doesn't have to at all points uh, argue in terms of virtues or, or rules uh, the, to, to, to quote be a consequentialist is just to say that any argument and any uh, uh, explanation is is um, is fair game provided it, uh, is better than its alternatives, and so it's not that I am disregarding the other systems. It's just that I'm saying that they're all actually doing the same thing, whether they recognize it necessarily or, or not. Um, but hmm. this, I think, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah I guess uh, two things. One is that I'm, ha- yeah, it's uh, it's hard for me to argue with you because I mean I think I am uh, much more sympathetic to consequentialism than any of the other moral frameworks at the end of the day, and for precisely this reason, because like any time you push sort of like a deontologist about their views at the end of the day that you have to say why something matters and that why is always framed in terms of some sort of consequence right so so i totally understand your uh your critique there um uh but yeah what I, i guess i'm just i'm not convinced that you still can't have the conversation with the deontologist who's like talk like just because they are framing their moral beliefs in terms of wise that's not like a reductio ad absurdum or something and therefore uh Kantianism is should be thrown out the door right um it's just that that's how they're arguing for their deontological beliefs and i think now you mm-hmm. have to st- take one step back and now say okay like they're reasoning with me also about consequences but for um, a different moral viewpoint, right, for deontology mm-hmm. in this case. And what am I supposed to do about that? So if we're both arguing about consequences sort of at the end of the day, whatever, but the fact is they are um, arguing about it in terms of this other f- moral framework, right? And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so, like, why do you get to take the inside view, I guess, on, consequential and on consequ- uh, consequentialism? Consequentialism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I... I guess I, I think about it very differently. Uh, um, I, I think that so when I say I'm a consequentialist, it's it's only for uh, kind of convenience of communication. People quickly know roughly where I, I I stand. but sure, yeah in my in my bones, I don't wake up every day thinking <laughs> as a consequentialist, what do I uh, have to do today? But what I do think in my bones is is um, as a Critical rationalist, which is very different from the rationalist community in the Bay Area. That mm-hmm. I am now learning; <laughs> these are very different things. Yes, um, so I am not at all uh, in favor of, of assigning little probability values to every piece of human cognition, which uh, <laughs> people like Eliezer Yudkowsky and, and them like to like to do. But um, but I do think so. As a critical rationalist, is something that I do quite identify. I, I think that the most excuse me identify as I think that um, the only uh, driver of progress we have is through uh, critical discussion, criticism, debate, argumentation, um, conversation. These are the my primitive objects. These are the most foundational uh, concepts that I that I have. Um, and so, on the topic of consequentialism and uh, and um, virtue ethics and deontology, um, I just see that as soon as you're having a conversation with somebody who uh, is say claiming to be a deontologist um, and they're trying to persuade and convince and argue with you um, about the, the uh, value of their system that they're, whether they recognize it or not are all engaging in the same process, which I think is, is the fundamental driver of, of, of progress and knowledge and understanding, which is discussion and debate. Um, and so I think the, the topic of of this conversation is epistemic modesty and you could quite uh quite fairly say like well that's a very immodest claim that you're making that this <laughs> is this is how everything works but really it um this is essentially the only thing which i am immodest about that uh, <laughs> one must debate and discuss with people who think differently than they right. oneself and and after uh, you make that foundational principle that everything is debatable everything is discussable um then all other higher order conversations um, are themselves the, 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 uh, the locus of, of where you should be modest and uncertain and and uh, where you should seek truths and, and, and stuff. And so um, the the topic of epistemic modesty as applied to morality um, and going back to what uh, Will McCaskill had said, which is, Uh, you have the consequentialists on one side and they're on one team and you have the uh, deontologists and they're on another team and none of them are really modest. They're all just teaming up against their own, uh, on their own sides against the other ones, I think is just completely missing the point. And the point is that the driver of progress is debate and discussion. Um, And once you take that as a primitive, then every other topic is something that one should be uh, open to uh, learning uh, about, I guess. And so, that's how kind of how I think about it, but maybe I should um, pass the, the torch back t- to you to see if if, if that resonates or if, if you think that uh, I've, I've made a, f- a flaw in, in, in reasoning somewhere.
1: Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I, I have two two quick thoughts here, I guess. One is yeah. you're pointing to something... If I'm not mistaken, I think you're pointing to something that I find also a little bit disturbing about epistemic modesty, and that's sort of um, a wisdom of the crowds type problem. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that, so, so honestly, in that... Th- fucking piece that i read the the one by <laughs> greg what's his name like it was almost it was creepy sad. um so i want to go into this this particular particular subject but um, um, absolutely yeah
1: okay so yeah let's put that aside then uh, okay. i think we both have yeah. thoughts on that but i guess i'd i'd like to just maybe frame or let me try and uh let me try and relay your position back to you just to make sure i'm understanding mm. so you're saying mm. um we should look at this in other words as a problem to be solved Right, like which moral Correct. theory yeah. is going to give us the best outcomes at the end of the day? Uh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I wouldn't say ahead, that that's the problem. I would, say, I wouldn't say
0: that the problem is we need to figure out which moral theory is going to give us the best outcomes. Because frankly, I think that problems already been solved, um, okay. and the the solution is that there is no one perfect morality. All there is is uh, error correction and discussion, um, and. Whether you want to call that consequentialism or virtue ethics or whatever it doesn't really matter to me, as long as we recognize that, uh, there is only ever debate and criticism and the, uh, um, the mutual error correcting mechanisms of conversation. Uh, and then after that, hmm. then you have a shit ton of problems to be solved. So, for example, w- um, w- at what age should uh, people legally be allowed to uh, to consent to, to having sex, say. This sure. is not a trivial question, no. um, and this is now a problem to be solved that we can only ever discuss and, and, and debate. So, sorry, I just wanted to...
1: Yeah, interesting. So, that, so, So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're a consequentialist in as much as you think that it provides, on average, the best explanations or the best... Mechanism by which to make moral decisions at the moment. Would that say? So, are you viewing it as almost a hypothesis? Like, if we're going to cast a Karl Popper kind of um, glow onto this conversation, right? Is it sort of your your best hypothesis at the moment, and you will now scrutinize it um, against uh, available evidence so, and see how it performs? Sort of thing. Is this? It's like a.
0: It's 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 almost that um, I can't conceive of. Uh, a system which doesn't use argumentation and discussion and debate uh, to make progress because to even try to convince me otherwise the only mechanism one would have is is argumentation, discussion and, and, and debate and so yeah. uh, frankly what I see is um, virtue ethics and deontology and even the word consequentialism is kind of just uh, missing the point slightly um, if you're going to engage in philosophical discussions in a philosophy seminar, you are already participating in the mechanisms which I'm advocating are the ones that should be used to make progress. Um, yeah. And so, uh, if 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 someone wants to convince convince somebody of uh, of the value of deontology, um, the very act of convincing and discussing would uh, be. Them participating in what I'm saying is the only way that we can make progress in the first place. Okay. Um, I don't know. Am I being un- unclear? perhaps
1: I think we're just talking yeah. maybe at slightly two different levels. So I may, okay. maybe yeah. I'd like to reduce this down to when you're making a very explicit moral decision, right? So okay. yeah. so I'm so let's say, Great. Um, Great. Great. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never been good at coming up with thought experiments off the top of my head, but l- let me do my yeah. best here. So there's someone's you're just like. Uh, sitting at a desk and someone has left their wallet oh there's like there's like $40 of cash right lying there and um the consequentialist probably looks at this um let's make it even more stark like let's just go like the utilitarian looks at this and says you know this $40 of cash could probably do the most good if I was just to like buy like donate it to a charity that's gonna buy bed nets with it and distribute it to sub-Saharan Africa or something Mm -hmm. um and, and from that viewpoint, that's just the best thing to do, right? Then um, the deontologist says, um, no, because that would be theft. And theft is mm-hmm. wrong. Instead, I should just find, try and find out who this is. And I can't, if I can't find, out, find it out, I, I should just leave it or something like that. The virtue ethicist says something similar. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about how we go about reasoning, how we go about making that moral decision, right? So mm-hmm. should you only take into account your team's uh, vote on the issue or should mm-hmm. your decision-making process be some, some sort of weighted average among these different viewpoints right
0: yeah let's let, great example so so you, you see a wallet um uh, on on the desk next to you or or on the street and it has 40 bucks in it and the question is like what do you what do you do exactly um, yeah like uh what would i do in this situation um it depends of course on the situation so if it's uh, my desk mate i would give it back to them that would be that's, that's an absolute no-brainer okay. um even though yeah i could take the 40 dollars and donate it to bed nets in africa but i could also just sell the guy's desk and donate that <laughs> money to bed nets in africa yeah too right but there's there's like um there's a uh, there's a very real um Forcing function of just manners and culture. Okay, yeah, but, let, okay but
1: this is getting too complicated. We need to let's just okay. simplify. Okay. No one's going to okay. know you took the money. The money's just sitting there. You're in some wasteland. Okay. It's possible if you don't take the money, no one's going to take it. Um, but right so the utilitarians like well I I could definitely do the most good with this money there's no don't take social considerations into account right no one's going to know you stole it it's not going to degrade you know the the social system around you or anything and lead to anarchy or anything like this right it's just purely like a a function of uh, distributing it to kids in Africa or just not stealing it right yeah
0: Um, Yeah, so um, I would give it back to the person uh, and something similar happened to me on Friday where I uh, got in a bit of a um, uh, a work argument with a friend of mine uh, okay, that yeah. ended up getting a bit more personal than it should have been, okay. uh, gotten. Um, and I was still quite miffed over the weekend, but I decided to um, uh, go for coffee with them and apologize. Uh, so my act of apologizing was purely because I felt so bad about how I had acted that uh, I, I knew that the consequences of me like not apologizing would be that I would just continue to feel guilty for, for quite some time. Um, similarly with the, this wallet example, uh, I would give the money back only because I know I have this little inner voice that would cause me to feel, uh, guilty. Um, if I, if I didn't do that, uh, other people may have a different inner voice that would say, no, 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 I absolutely should take the $40 and, uh, send it to, to the effective altruist movement or like Will McCaskill, um, donate what, uh, 75% of his wealth to uh, to 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 um, charity. But in all cases, like I would absolutely just think through to the best of my ability, the consequences of the various actions and what the likely effect that would have both on other people, but also on myself. There's nothing sure, yeah. wrong with taking, taking oneself into consideration. Yeah. And I would say that the most honest answer is that in almost all cases... All moral questions that actually arise in my life, um, I, I take the action which I think will mitigate harm to other people, but it will also mitigate my own feeling of guilt and unease, which would be created. Um, this is like the inner voice, which uh, which uh, some philosophers have, have talked about—the right. the one that kind of keeps you on the um, <laughs> acting, acting uh, ethically. So I don't know. That's my, that's my genuine answer, but perhaps you, uh, like, what would you do in this in this situation?
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It's hard hard to know, but I guess I'm just curious as to why, given that there are many, like, moral philosophers whose job purportedly it is to just, like, think about morality pretty hard all day, um, and they are not consequentialists, right? Um, So, I guess, how do you... Because your answer um in short was like i just think about the consequences so you're just like you know you're acting like a consequentialist purely think
0: about the consequences but i would um weigh into consideration like the consequences of my own guilt um on my own life sure yeah yeah yeah, of course i would i would do my best to think through like what the various uh consequences of the various actions would be and then take the one which mitigated the, the worst consequences yeah um yeah but but I I, I just, maybe it's a failure of uh, understanding on my part, but I don't see how anyone could ever do anything <laughs> otherwise, frankly. Like, even the virtue ethicist at some point would say something like, the consequences of acting um, uh, with kindness must outweigh the consequences <laughs> yeah. of acting with cruelty. Yeah. And the deontologist, upon arriving at, at the golden rule or uh, the categorical imperative or whatever, has come up with these because of the consequences. Like, I, I don't see any other option. Yeah. Which is why I, I don't even know um, how to really uh, engage with 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 uh, the other side because I don't think that there is another side. I think that <laughs> the, the people who say that they're on the other side just don't uh, really recognize the mechanisms that are actually going on in their own head when they're reasoning. Right,
1: perfect. Okay, but this is precisely <laughs> the question of epit- epistemic modesty, right? So you're yes. casting yep. value judgments on how... Uh, on how forceful um how true their actual opinion is right and the question is how are you justified in doing this there's people who feel equally as strongly as you and are you know equally as smart equally as rational and have just like completely adopted the the other position right the deontological position and so how how can you justify from like an outside point of view um your your perspective on this right so that that's the question oh. behind epistemic modesty right so like yes. Yeah, so
0: oh i have to add. oh that's so good um how do i justify uh and the my position the answer is i don't justify it i never justify it i can't justify it all i can do is state it and have other people criticize it um but this is the the big thing which the both Yukowski and uh, the other guy got wrong which is that the goal is never to find some position which you can justify perfectly forever Um, or to find some authority which tells you what to believe and what is true. Um, That is never the case, and I don't justify any of my opinions. I try my best to explain them to other people and have them criticize them. Um, But there is no ultimate justification or source of knowledge or true belief. There's no such thing. There's just uh, your honest expression of, of what you think and your openness and willingness to hear the other people criticize it Uh, to oblivion and so the answer is I don't justify it and if you don't agree with my belief then please join me in criticizing it and we'll criticize it together right okay this is my
1: yeah Yeah, this is is good this is good so um, from my perspective these are two slightly different things right one okay let's think of like the arena of ideas say right and it mm-hmm. seems to me you're, what you're saying is like i'm going to take my perspective on this problem and i'm going to cast it out into the arena of, of ideas and then yep. people will criticize it and we'll see which ones withstand scrutiny the most exactly. and then the, exactly. the best idea will sort of come out right this is like the battleground yep. of yep. ideas or whatever you want to call it yeah exactly um, yep. Yep. and so i'm so the so there's a question here of like whether your perspective your personal perspective should be the one that you are putting out into the arena of ideas. So let me give you another thought experiment. Um, You and your roommate um, both... So someone bought a bag of apples or something... And there's an, there's an apple sitting in the kitchen um, and you went into the kitchen at one point and you thought it was a red apple and your roommate went to the kitchen at some point and You thought it was a green apple. Now, let's say your roommate and you are like equally as smart, equally as rational, and you were in the kitchen for the same amount of time. You have the exact same amount of information about the situation. Right. And so your perspective is, look, the apple is red. Right. And so the idea that you can put out into the arena to be criticized is like the apple is red. But there's also a question of like your subjective confidence in your answer. And I think in this situation, your confidence should be precisely 50-50. There's no good reason from an outside view that you should actually hold that the apple is red more so than it's green. If the situation's completely symmetric, right? Any reason I give... A, a good way to maybe think about it is if I'm coming in as a third party, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, was the apple red or green? And you're going to give me a set of reasons um, as to why the apple's red. And I'm going to do the exact same thing and your roommate's going to give me a set of reasons explaining why the apple's green, right? And I have no more reason, assuming that both of you have the exact same amount of information, to believe either one of you. And so my credence as, a, as an exterior third party is going to be, 50-50 split between whether the mm-hmm. Apple was red or whether a- Apple was green, and so mm-hmm. I think there, there's a distinction to be made here between like the idea that you sort of put forward to be criticized by other people and the actual sort of subjective um, subjective um, thought that you have that you have yeah. about the situation. One hundred
0: percent. I completely agree with you, um, and I want to suggest uh, perhaps a useful um, distinction that uh, is is not. At all made um, in the Bayesian philosophy and in the uh, kind of the blog posts that surround effective altruist movement and, and um, uh, Miri and all that. And and that's the difference between uh, truth and certainty, Mm. truth and certainty. Um, So truth is a a property of, of statements. So the, the statement, the apple is red and the statement, the apple is green. One of these statements has a property of truth associated with it. And the other has a property of falsity associated with it. But, from subjective, uh, for subjective agents, we, we don't know um, which of these statements has that property associated with it. Uh, so, s- uh, truth is an objective property of statements, but certainty is a subjective property of psychology. Right. Um, and so, it is 100% true to say that um, you say the apple's red, I say it's green, and uh, the appropriate uh, amount of certainty to have is 50 50. Because neither of us know. But if we then wanted to find out what the truth of the matter is, then we have mechanisms to do so. Um, the mechanisms are uh, experimental tests, argumentation, debate, um, and all the mechanisms which which I'm continuing to, to, to hammer on about. But um, this distinction is, is perfectly clear in my mind um, that in many cases... The right amount of certainty to have is is fifty fifty or even less than that, uh, and that's kind of why the uh, the taxation example was was a good one. Like there is a truth of the matter right. to um, if raising the taxes uh, uh, beyond a certain point is uh, beneficial or detrimental to society. But my uh, degree of certainty that I have associated with this is is very low because I don't have nearly enough inf- information, right. and so the epistemic modesty. Um, question i think conflates these two things and it says um you should be more certain as your uh as the truth value of a particular statement goes goes up it it fails to make this distinction and so it just talks about our subjective belief this number between zero and one uh being associated with with certain statements and if we don't uh, know what um excuse me uh, uh if we're Subjectively uncertain, then we just can't say anything about the truth value of any of this this, this stuff. And so, um, the the Apple example is is a, quite an easy one, which is how certain should I be? Exactly fifty fifty. Um, if we needed to figure this out, if 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 there is a. Uh, lives on the line, determining the truth value of whether the apple was red or green. Then we switch into investigation mode, and we have the tools that we uh, that we know through science and through philosophy and, and, and through epistemology to to ascertain um, which of these two statements is is true. But given the the setup, absolutely, of course, the amount of certainty we should have is is 50 Yes. Um, that's my, my kind of my, my framing. But I don't know, does that satisfy you or does that kind of like not really get at the uh the nub of the, the issue?
1: Um no, that's good, that's good. I mean so now the question in more complicated areas, right, is like are we justified in having increased certainty in, in any of our like moral explanations or political explanations, yeah. right? Like um and I guess your uh claim, if I'm not getting you wrong, is that uh, is that consequentialism has been a better explanation for a lot of, um, or rather has has led to like, uh, better moral outcomes or something than, than other mm-hmm. explanations, and therefore we should have a higher degree of certainty in it sort of thing?
0: My, my, my claim is, is that uh, the only way we can ever make progress is, is by subjecting ideas to this arena. Yeah, um, right. And consequentialism is, I think, the, uh, the only one of the three mechanisms— uh that uh doesn't impede this process um the the other mechanisms um i think in almost all cases they are just doing it anyways <laughs> but uh, which is why i think that everyone's just participating in this whether they it like recognize it or not but um but w- with uh virtue ethics and deontology they're it impedes it a little bit, um, and it impedes it in the sense of saying that there is some final authoritative answer which can be ascertained and which, upon having it, would end moral discussion forever. Um, it's like, imagine if we found <laughs> the deontological rule. Um, imagine if, 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 if we were given it by God. Um, this would end all discussions because we would just look at the rule. Um, and if the rule was written down in tablet form, all we would have to do is open up the book and be told how to act. Um, and if instead of the rule being one rule, it was, uh, 10, um, then it could cause uh, 2,000 years of, of, of unhappiness and misery. Uh, because it ends and impedes the kind of discussion which I'm arguing is the only thing which drives forward moral progress. Okay. So, yes.
1: Yeah, I keep I keep trying to get you to admit that you yeah. could have these kind of discussions with, like, a deontologist, but I don't think that's going to happen, so... No, but, but, if, but to have a discussion yeah, yeah. with a deontologist is to participate in the thing that I'm saying is the only way that we okay. drive
0: forward pro, pro progress. Yes. Okay, so let's take,
1: um... <laughs> Let's take two different brands of consequentialism then. Okay, so let's say one is um, taking only the consequences of people that are alive right now. Those are the kind of consequences you're taking into account, right? So this is called a person affecting moral view. You're You're concerned about um, affecting people who are alive right now, right? Then there's an, there's, a, there's non-person affecting views which says, like, you should just be concerned about, like, the total amount of, of well-being, you know, regardless of whether these people are alive right now or not. So if they live in the future, um, that's fine. We shouldn't be discounting them morally simply because they just don't exist right now. They will exist in the future, these sorts of things. And so you can have um, consequentialist frameworks that adopt – person affecting views or non-person affecting views. Okay, so how do you discriminate between these kind of things? Um This is yeah, this right. is tough. Yeah, this is like
0: legitimately really difficult. Um so uh to 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 sh- make the question like um applicable uh do we want to uh count the life of the unborn fetus uh, or do we not, right? right? Which yeah. is um yeah. do we want to take into account the um uh, the well-being of those in the future,
1: right? Um, You've just crossed somehow the political and moral boundary. We're just if, somewhere yes, in the but, middle. But, but, but <laughs>
0: like, uh, I think the the term you're using is person-affecting view. Like, do we only consider the consequences and the suffering of the people who are alive now, or do we also include all the potential future um, pleasure and suffering and unhappiness uh, of, of those yet to be born? If I understood the distinction the, the Yeah, exactly. Correctly. Yeah. Um, the, the if you just want to know my perspective the it's it's very difficult um, we we don't have a clear answer to this question right. but, yeah. um it in some sense i would say that it uh, depends on the situation and there will like it, it seems like you're seeking for a moral system which will forever end all of your uh, struggles, which you could just turn to the system and read off the answers and be told how to act. And I'm basically making the case that at no point we will ever get this, nor should we actually even desire it. And all we can ever do is debate and discuss uh, through the, uh, the the difficulties of our world right, right now. Um, and so my direct answer to you when you say what kind of consequentialist am I, is that these distinctions don't matter to me at all. <laughs> like, I, I, it's a tough question. Um, and I don't have an easy answer about uh, w- uh, how much we should um, include into consideration the lives of the unborn. Like, obviously we want to include it a little bit, but um, do I want to uh, uh, weigh the life of the um, blastocyst, equally to the life of the, the, the teenage mother, probably not. But do I want to live in a world where Thanos can just snap his fingers and, uh, people extinguish without suffering. And therefore that's completely fine because there's no suffering. Obviously that doesn't make any sense either. And so, um, I think that the search for some perfect, uh, moral framework or some perfect set of rules or some, perfect update, uh, uh, rule to follow is a search for, um, an authority figure. It's a search. It's a search for some, uh, fount of wisdom, which will then allow us to offload our thinking to it and I reject all such sources. <laughs> yeah. All we can ever do is is reason and discuss uh, in the moment. Um, so that, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, so I agree. But, I, okay, but this is good. This is, <laughs> epistemic modesty yeah. is precisely... Yeah. This, when you're saying this is a hard question, I'm not sure what yeah. to do. This is precisely when epistemic modesty is supposed to kick into high gear, right? What most what happens most of the time is that we pick a side. We just say, like, well, fuck future people. I don't care. And I'm I'm, I, I'm concerned about the people living right now, right? So And so climate change is a problem insofar as as, yes. as uh, current generations are concerned, right? Um, yeah. And, or we pick the side that says, oh, no, actually, we should, like, value uh, generations of the future with some discount function, with the discount rate equal to 0.27 yeah, yeah, yeah. times yeah. pi over 2, right? And then some people say, no, the discount function should be 1 or something. And the question is, like, precisely what to do under these situations when we're, like, um, we, we intuitively think one answer is correct, right? So maybe you're like, you, you, and most people naturally are sort of hold person affecting views. That's sort of like the natural moral position to take is like you care about what happens to people alive right now. Um, and, but the question is like upon reflection, a lot of people actually like uh, ditch these views in favor of non-person affecting views. And so how should we hold our subjective credences in different, different ways to act given this disagreement in the moral realm? Right. Um,
0: yeah. Well, I, uh, the I can I see that we, we we frame moral questions slightly differently, which makes for such an interesting discussion. Because, like, I think you think that um, I just chose consequentialism because <laughs> it's like this is the thing that I'm just going to die uh, die attached to. But but really, I just see that we can never have a perfect moral framework which will allow us to offload our thinking. Um, and consequentialism isn't that. Consequentialism is the only one which doesn't promise to offer that. Uh, consequentialism is is unfortunately just a, it's an overused term now, but it just means having to think through these questions yourself. Um, and that's all I mean by a consequentialist, yeah, uh, is yeah, having yeah. to think through these con- these questions yourself, case by case, instance by instance, um, incrementally. And, and so, like how much we should tune the discount factor is just, again, trying to find some authority to do our thinking for us. Uh, and that is not, uh, ever the way that we should think, nor, uh, will it ever work because moral questions are precisely those questions, which are contextual, um, which are, are, uh, there is no 100%, right or wrong answer to the question of like, should you take a life? Well, obviously it, it depends. Um, there will always be, uh, uh complications and morality in some sense is just, um, a, a, a system and a framework to be able to navigate through a world where such complications will continuously arise. Um, if we didn't have these kind of complications, we wouldn't need a moral framework because there would be no, use of it uh, and so all I'm saying is that there is no real distinction between a scientific mindset um, and a moral one because in both of these cases sorry a scientific mindset and say a consequentialist one because in both of these cases you're just doing your best to uh, try to reason through problems um, using the tools of critical discussion uh, and 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 at no point can we ever say we have found that which will give us all the answers, um, and the search for that, I think, is just—it's misguided in the uh, best case, but it's just kind of creepy in the worst case. Which is like, please tell me how to think, give me the thing which will uh, uh, solve these problems for me, and and I just I, I, I never want that, even if it was offered. Yeah. I'm
1: confused. <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I don't understand. Wait, it's so a where. Yeah, so you keep bringing up like this plea to a higher authority to give us moral yes. answers. Where, yes. where am I appealing to that? Like,
0: no, I'm saying that. Um, I think you're kind of appealing to that and saying like, dude, like, what is your moral system? Uh, just tell me if you're like, what kind of consequentialist are you? Okay, you're the kind of consequentialist who oh, um, mm-hmm. is going to. Uh, uh, include the future rate of people by a discount factor of 0.37. Uh, okay, great. So I know that's the kind of consequentialist you are. And so whenever you have a problem, you're just going to apply your discount rate to, you're going to weigh up all of the, and then there's the answer to your problem. Uh, so the the plea to the authority is is a plea to find some, which is, I'm not saying is you necessarily. I'm saying that this is kind of a, a common uh, uh, trope within ethical um, uh, conversations. But, but the... The virtue ethicist um, wants to find that set of virtues which, um, upon being followed, will always be the right thing to do. Um, the uh, deontologist wants to find the rule or the set of rules, and they argue that, yeah, it's, it's really difficult, but, but just they want a rule. Give them a fucking rule, <laughs> and once they have that rule, then they just have to follow the rule. It's it's rule following. It's 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 word following. It's virtue following. Um, it's discount rate applying. Uh, okay, all of these like are um, appeals to have uh, your thinking done elsewhere. Um.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think I'm thinking more short term decision by decision. So like back to the mm-hmm. wallet thing, right? Like yeah, it yeah. seems to me, given a situation, an isolated situation, your if you were to just, like, sit and have a long reflection about what you think the best thing to do is, you can brand in that situation, as a function of that situation, what exactly you think the thing to do is. So, um, given the wallet you think the thing to do is, um is consequentialism, person-affecting consequentialism with, like, some discount rate, whatever, right? And I'm not saying this is your answer for all time, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to appeal to saying, because you think that in this situation, you should extrapolate that and always think that this is the best moral framework. Someone's moral framework could precisely be a function that changes with time or something. Like, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Or that changes with how our consciousness evolves. Things like this, right? Um, all I'm saying is, situation by situation, we have intuitions we have moral intuitions Mm -hmm. about how we're supposed to act in this moment and the question Mm -hmm. is should you only follow this moral intuition or should you be taking into account viewpoints that literally make no intuitive sense to you because by taking an outside view um you have like sort of no way of knowing that you're right and so should you be taking into account people who would say completely opposite things even if their arguments don't seem to make as much sense Right. Of that's, course, that's the question. Of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think
0: we've we've converged uh, <laughs> nice. a bit more. Which is, uh, at, at like at any point, we should always take into account the critical arguments of other people, um, precisely when they're maximally different from ourselves. Because at every point, I assume that uh, my views are some mixture of of truth and error. Right. Uh, but i don't know what uh what exactly i'm wrong about and so all i can do is appeal to other people um and so the answer is always yes you always have to uh, take into account other people's views but to take into account means to listen to them uh carefully and then uh see if they have a, a valid criticism or or not um and if they don't then sometimes you you uh, discount it uh, and if they do then you try to 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 um uh learn from it. Um, But the answer is yes, of course you do. Uh, 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 And the only, like the only reason I'm arguing so strongly for this uh, (laughs) mechanism is because this mechanism assures that that will always be taking place. Um, uh, uh, This is the only one which is um, able to be uh, influenced by other people's views. Um, And if the deontologist wants to, uh argue with me or argue with somebody then absolutely I want to hear what they have to say of yeah. course like maybe 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 i I'm wrong but but I just see that the very act of them arguing is uh evidence of the fact that they're participating in the very thing that I'm saying is 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 uh is, is what I value, which is argumentation um and so yes, absolutely we need to always take into account people who are thinking differently than us and the only like, this is such a foundational principle in my life because I always try to express my views clearly precisely so that other people can attack them as savagely as possible. Um, And, and therefore I, uh, the, the uh, part of the responsibility of that is that you always have to listen to the criticisms of other people. And you always have to listen to other people's views because if you aren't listening to them, then this whole mechanism breaks, breaks down. Of course you have to listen to other people and seek it out and, and, yes absolutely yes
1: yeah okay so So i think i mean this framework makes sense right what you're describing definitely makes sense when you can put an idea out there to be criticized and you can converge closer and closer to some objective truth right but there's some situations especially in like the moral realm where this sort of consensus is never going to happen right so often people will put ideas out there and you're just not going to agree about whose life whose life matters most in this case or about which consequences are more important than other consequences right some people Mm -hmm. will be like well this is is just unjust and that's a that's a consequence that we just we can't allow this to happen right injustice injustice rather trump trump's everything else right um and so the question is i think it's more interesting when it comes to these cases where there's just like such intuitive disagreement about different things and then you still have to make a decision right and the question is what decision do you make when when there's this kind of just like inconsistency across the board right
0: I, i i think that that's actually a bit of a uh uh I don't think that's necessarily true that consensus doesn't emerge um, through moral debate. I think that it does. It just emerges um, a lot more slowly and over the span of about a century. And so, uh, for example, nobody left or right is really arguing about the validity of seatbelt laws anymore or um, the validity of of, uh, whether or not drinking and driving is a bad idea. Um, Like that debate is over and and everyone uh, has, has converged. A lot of the debates that we're currently still having, I think, are because the the right answers haven't really um, uh, come, come out yet. Yeah, right, uh, right. I would say that the most recent one would be uh, gay marriage, which is, I think, like almost a uh, conversation which everybody has agreed, at least in, 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 in the West, and like even Donald Trump with all of his, um, let's say, character flaws, <laughs> hasn't really touched this issue at all. Yeah. Um, it's just one that's boring to everybody now. Um, the conservative uh, leader um in, in Canada has said that that's an issue they don't really want to touch and 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 so i think that consensus does um happen uh but it happens slowly um but i would also say that consensus isn't actually even the thing that we necessarily want right, yeah, we just want um the emergence of of, of 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 moral truths which which come but i think just slowly the question of slavery it, who's arguing on the pro slavery side anymore but there is a civil wars fought about this, and so yeah. I think that it just it does happen. It just takes centuries.
1: Yeah, but yeah, but you're kicking you're kind of kicking the ball further downfield, right? So you're mm. you're definitely not mm. going to catch me in a position where I'm arguing against like the progress we've made. I think we've made like astonishing <laughs> progress in basically every realm, right? Um, and but the question is, we still have to make decisions right now, right? We have to make yeah. decisions about. Um, about admissions, for example, to post-secondary institutions, right? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And, and so what should our hire- hiring practices be when it comes to, like, minorities yeah. and people who are underprivileged and things like this, right? So we have to make these decisions, yeah. and there's huge amounts of disagreement here, right? And so, mm-hmm, so when someone has an opinion on this, um, the question is like, given this amount of disagreement, how confident should you be in in your opinion? Given that there's like equally sort of rational people um, arguing with equal fervor and equal commitment on the other side, right? Um,
0: yeah, well, I think that um, like the the idea of of confidence and certainty is is totally an interesting one, but I, I don't think that. Um, it's the same as how should you act? So with a lot of these questions, I think it's fair to say that our confidence levels should be quite quite low. Um, but whenever you act in anything, you have to mm. uh, have some sort of threshold. Uh, and so I think that the threshold has to be low as well, basically, basically which is, unfortunately, we have to make some sort of decision on uh, college uh, admin um, uh, procedures. Um, and nobody really knows conclusively what the best um decision is going to be how met like should we uh, uh continue to do affirmative action or should we um uh just purely hire based on merit or should we hire based on like class based affirmative action these are very difficult questions which we don't have um concrete answers to uh, and so the confidence level we should have is is low yeah of course um and but we still need to act and so we the threshold for action should also be lower given that um, inaction is still action and inaction is going to do something as well. And so for these kind of questions, if it's more of like a procedural, what is the best procedure to to, to have um, when the uh, outcome is uncertain, when you're uncertain, when truths are not yet emerged, the best procedure I think is is incremental. Uh, Short term and reversible, and so you try something temporarily, uh, kind of see what the effects are, and then you reassess. Um, and so this kind of takes place in, in the context of like uh, I know in governments often policies have sunset laws. Mm-hmm. So rather than being put in place and then the uh, they have to be uh, actively taken out out. Um, like I think the Patriot Act, I may be wrong about this, but I think the Patriot Act had a sunset clause, which is. Um, if it wasn't renewed after X amount of time, then it would be uh, canceled. Mm. Uh, and so, after X amount of time, they had to continue to vote to keep putting it on. I may be wrong about that particular act, but the the Googleable term is sunset clause. Um, but this is this is the, the one mechanism to be able to act in the face of of uncertainty. Uh, but this is, I think, it's it's a Different, not a different question, but but I, I don't think that it's um, one which needs to uh, cripple us necessarily. We just need to. Come up with mechanisms to to make decisions when there's a lot of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, yeah you bring up uh, one fascinating point, which I think we should honestly maybe sidebar for like another conversation. I think we could do a, like a whole yeah. episode on this, which is the the difference between incremental or uh, what Popper called like piecemeal engineering versus radical reform, right? And like yeah. what are the pros yeah. and cons are are there ever yeah. times where we do want radical reform? Um, yeah. And uh, anyway, I've been thinking about this a bit recently, so I think like we should yeah. definitely talk about that just separately yeah. at some point, which is fascinating. Yeah. But I think. Um, Yeah. As maybe like a final, final point, what you bring up, I think is, is one of the biggest problems I have with this notion of epistemic modesty. And that is, yeah, precisely the conflation between uh, how we should present our opinions to the public and how we should internally hold position, our positions. And so there's this notion of like, wisdom of the crowds, right? Like often if you take, um, which is like quantifiable to a certain extent, right? So if you take Um, a bunch of people and people are sort of more likely on average to have the right answer. If you like aggregate people's opinions, you will get the right answer emerging over time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think you can make the argument that it's actually not helpful if we were to all be epistemically modest, if we were to all be uncertain in our actions all the time, because this, what this does is like sort of reduce the, this battleground of ideas to be, um, uh, to be, much more sort of uh, diluted than it should be, otherwise. Mm-hmm. And almost what you want is like the strongest versions of different different uh, positions playing out against each other to see which mm-hmm. ones emerge. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably most helpful actually in terms of making positions. So I think there mm-hmm. should be mm-hmm. this distinction between like yeah, precisely the position like we, we do put forward and pres- and the position yeah. that, we, that we hold personally. Um, and Sweet. so this is like a fascinating difference I think that hasn't really it's... been dealt with in this. Uh, or buy any of these pieces. It's like,
0: yeah, it, it's like the. Um, I know we're, we're passing the hour mark, so we should uh, consider winding winding up soonish. But um, the I, I love the 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 idea of the battleground of ideas because I think um, you can just envision like battle bots, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a useful metaphor for this distinction which I'm trying to make between uh, subjective certainty and like uh, the objective um, battle of ideas where I frankly, I don't care how certain or uncertain any of the controllers of the battle bots are. Exactly, they can all yeah. be completely uncertain as long as they're trying their best to push these ideas into the arena so that they can all, um, uh, fight and, 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 um, we can start to all, all learn, but people can be, have like Epsilon's certainty for all I care. Um, as long as they are trying to put these ideas into the arena. Yeah. Um, and in, in, uh, Uh, the Bayesian philosophy, which is something, again, we should sidebar for another conversation. Um, This is completely uh, elided. And so the, you kind of tell when it like, it permeates through all the writing, uh, which is like, when should you um, update your belief and how certain should you be on your belief? Mm. Um, But beliefs, the the phrase belief uh, makes an unhelpful conflation between your certainty and the truth of, of a particular statement. Mm. So like in the BattleBots analogy, I don't give a shit about what anybody believes as long as they're doing their very best right. to put these ideas into the arena. I don't care what you believe. Um, just do your best to represent these ideas clearly. Um, you could be completely certain on the wrong belief as long as you're expressing the idea clearly so that it can it can uh, have a fair a fair hearing. Um, and so that's one of the things which we should, again, pick up uh, next conversation. Like um, Why uh, uh, this conflation is unhelpful because, um, uh, let me rephrase that why, uh, the distinction between truth, certainty, and belief, um, needs to be very sharply made. And upon making that distinction, I think it clears up so much confusion that, um, that, uh, needn't be there, um when that distinction is made. So maybe that'll be like the, my, my concluding, concluding remark. But, uh, but yeah, any, anything else, my friend? This was, a, this was a fun one. Uh, before we, before we sign off.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, this would be like fun to come back to, I think, especially on the more political yeah. side. I think we got like pretty, got pretty detailed when it came to like moral yeah. epistemic modesty, but I think it'd be interesting just to, think through yeah. how we justify political opinions and even just to dive into like yeah personal opinions that we hold yeah well, sure we can we are on stuff and this kind of thing be interesting. yeah we can
0: even um, just pick, pick this up again in a couple weeks uh, yeah. on the same subject after thinking about it cool, cool. well let's sign off and uh, pick it up again in two weeks yeah cool
1: take care man <laughs> <Yeah>. cheers bye <laughs>